my name is Max Goldberg. Welcome back to the Next Frontier podcast. I am so excited for today's guest. Dan Cashel is a mentor, a friend, and an inspiration in my life. And I'm so happy and grateful for Dan to be on the podcast today. Dan, how are you? How is your Friday going? And what are you most excited about for the new year? What are you working on? Tell us a little bit about who Dan Cashel is heading into the the, the third decade of this century or this millennium. Third decade of this millennium, the fifth decade plus of my life. So uh, number one, first of all, it's a pleasure to be with you, Max. Uh, I mean, you are just a force of good and a force of nature doing the things you are. So it's a pleasure to be with you uh, and your tribe and your following and, and share in your wisdom with the next frontier family, if you will. Um, for me, you know, the thing I'm most excited about, I think the three things that pop up, number one, being a husband, number two is being a dad. And then, you know, the create creative stuff we get to do, helping people, inspire people through, you know, our different resources, tools and stuff for business. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, watching my kids evolve, you know, it seems like yesterday I was holding my daughter in my arms and I was bouncing on a ball to put her to sleep or drive her around the neighborhood to put her to sleep. Uh, and not that far off of my son. And you know, now here they are, there's that, like these little, little, little amazing adults, like right before my eyes, just like that. So those, those are a few things. Amazing. So, so I wanted to jump into your fatherhood first, because we've had some really interesting conversations about, about how you're raising your kids and some of the things that you do with your kids. Before we do that, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about what you were like as a kid, some of the things you were interested in. Um, I know that you were really focused on sports and and activity and physical activity. So, so Dan, what, what were you like as a kid? What, what, what did you enjoy doing? Uh, the things I enjoyed were what you brought up were sports. Ever since I can remember, sports has been a, a big part of my life. Um, you know, as early as 10 years old, my dad introduced me to personal development. Mm-hmm. So I attended my first seminar slash clinic, if you will, at 10 years old. It was really geared for coaches, which my dad was a coach. And he took me with him and I got to sit in on it. I can picture the manual that we got almost like it was yesterday, Max. And one of the pages, it said PMA. And then, then it went on to say something like, you know, your PMA, positive mental attitude, is what's going to make the difference. 90% of success in baseball, which was the sport, uh, sports and life, is 90% mental, 10% physical, right? And that has always stuck with me. And, you know, I was so lucky to get that you know, gift as a, as a kid. And then I was incredibly curious, uh, inquisitive, asked a lot of questions, mostly around sports. I mean, I studied and read a lot about, you know, different biographies, Mickey Mantle, uh, you know, Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, a lot of these old time players. Then, then Pete Rose, I was fascinated about his story and who he was. So I was always looking at the game from a perspective of like, for myself, like how could I get that champion's edge, if you will? right? Um, Now, that was sports. I also found school to be kind of easy and yet boring, frankly. It kind of bored me to tears. And on top of that, I was very self-conscious, right? I had, um, you know, my upbringing, I grew up in the inner city of Detroit, and we didn't have a lot of money. Several times we were on welfare. So I always felt like I was out of place anywhere else but the, the sports field you know, whether that was baseball or football or the court with basketball on the court or on the field, I I demonstrated leadership, 
you know, I, you know, really drove hard, but in classrooms, I was very introverted. I was quiet. I was shy, mostly self-conscious. Uh, and I didn't have a lot of self-confidence in those places. And so, you know, it's interesting now to see and fast forward to today, uh, you know, the cool things that we get to do and, and how we get, you know, I have friends of mine from when I was younger go, wow, it's amazing to see like what you're doing compared to you when you were a kid, uh, which, which is, you know, it's a freak show in many ways. <laughs> Fascinating. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about where you grew up. So could you describe kind of how Detroit was when you were growing up in the in the inner city? Um, what maybe what 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 kids used to do outside of school and maybe what sports did for you? What sports kept you away from in addition to what sports added to your life? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, you know, for me, I've watched a lot of friends who ended up on the wrong side of things, we'll just say, right? Um, and I discovered accidentally, I think, I don't think it was on purpose, accidentally that who you hang around is going to make or break you. And thankfully, I found myself hanging around the right people more than hanging around the wrong people, right? I mean, I got introduced to drugs when I was, you know, nine years old, right? Um, at 10 years old, I was you know, in environments where there was, a, you know, all kinds of drugs and drug abuse going on, even teammates of mine who were 10 years old using, right? And to experience that, imagine walking in a house and seeing kids getting all doped up, doing coke, doing other things, and a room, a, a house full of people, like it is, um, it's, it's a shocker to the system, right? And I had a choice to do what others were doing, you know, peer pressure, if you will, or to do the opposite. And for whatever reason, again, by accident, I'm not even sure why I chose this, but I just cho chose the opposite. Like I just didn't choose to do what everybody else was doing. I've always kind of been to a degree, a little bit left when everybody else was right, or I'd be right when everybody else was left. Right. And, you know, if people were zigging, I was kind of zagging and that, the number one thing though was like you become who you hang around. And so through these kind of types of experiences, I also through sports, I got a chance to hang around with all kinds of people in, in our area, right? You know, it was very, it was a mixed culture, you know, all kinds of different races, religions, you know, where I grew up in the inner city, we were on the border of another city of, which is called Dearborn, which is the, apparently, I don't know if it's still this way today, but it was back then the highest uh, Arab, uh, uh, culture in, in the nation at the time. So we had all kinds of cultures and ethnicities uh, around us, right? So I got a chance to be friends with like all these different types of people, again, at a very young age, which I think has helped me in so many different ways uh, in business today of, you know, different types of people, different viewpoints, different ways of looking at things, different religion. Another impact for me as a young kid, Max, was when I was born, you know, a lot of people are born into a certain religion, right? So my dad was uh, uh, Lutheran and my mom was Baptist, right? And I didn't get baptized when I was a kid, right? Uh, for whatever reason, I'm not sure why my mom and dad chose that. But as we started going up, we ended up at a, at a Catholic school and I didn't get baptized right away, which I was also kind of a black sheep in a Catholic school, not being Catholic. So there was that kind of pressure. But then what happened is my parents said, well, why don't you 
basically go to a bunch of different churches and you choose what religion you want to be. And so I went to Lutheran church. I went to Baptist church. I went to, you know, uh, Orthodox church. I went, I mean, I think we, I went to about six, seven different types of churches in our area. And then ultimately I decided to be baptized Catholic. And then my sister came along for the ride too. Right. And I was 11 year or 10 and a half years old when I was baptized. And I think that experience really taught me also about decision-making, right? Um, So when you combine, you know, how I grew up socially, if you will, and these social, like, kind of shocks (laughs) to the system, right? Plus the fact that I got my parents, for whatever reason, empowered us to make, make, make decisions on our own, you know, it created some good habits that I didn't know early on. I think I'm just starting to appreciate it more today uh, than I did you know, 30, 40 years ago. But those are a couple of big influences. You know, the diversity, right? The shock to the system, right? And understanding, like, if you hang out with the wrong people or doing the wrong things, like, you're going to end up, like, I've got friends who've either been killed, died in jail or otherwise that I grew up with. But then I also have some friends who have done amazing things, right? But you become who you hang around. That makes a huge, huge difference. And then being able to you know, stand on your own two feet and make choices, not just because it's what the norm says, but it's what you choose to do and, and who you are and what you want and all those sorts of things. So those are a couple of things that stand out as a kid that as you're asking me, I don't know that I've ever brought these things up in any interview I've ever done. So, Well, I'm glad I asked. That was a, that was a, a insightful <laughs> and, and impactful riff. So, so thank you so much. I have a bunch of follow-up questions if, if, you got it. If, if you're okay to go deeper here. So do yeah. you, did you have a moment where you realized, this might have, again, been, been a lot later in life, but did you have a moment where you realized maybe all of those three things, one of those three things where you realized like, wow, I'm a black sheep and I'm getting tremendous benefit from just doing the opposite of what everybody else is doing or zigzagging, going left when everybody else is going right? Was there a moment or, or an incident that stands out for you? Yeah, I think early on I realized I was operating different right? Um, my focus on sports. And I think I, you know, part of it is my dad to a degree ingrained it. I, I can remember because it's something I share with my son, Kyler, and my daughter, Kira. Um, my dad always used to say, Dan, if you take the same focus in, in sports that, that you're taking, and I was obsessed, I was an obsessive compulsive workaholic at like eight, right? Because when I decided I was, I wanted to be the very best. And so I was doing all kinds of stuff way ahead of everybody else, right? When everybody else was out doing like whatever they do and playing, I was like doing drills and practicing, working out all these sorts of crazy things, right? But for me, it was fun. It was enjoyable. It was development. It was about growth. It was about getting, being better today than yesterday. And I remember like consciously thinking like that when I was little, like 10, 11 years old, like, which is kind of weird for you to think that a 10 or 11 year old might be thinking that way. But I owe it to my dad. And he said, hey, you know, whatever happens in baseball, if you take that same focus and put it into anything you do positive, you're going to be immensely successful. And I think two levels of that is the desire and focus, but also positive, right? Because, you know, I, thankfully, I never got hooked on drugs, right? Not that I haven't, you know, played around with, you know, different types of things. But thankfully, I never did it for too long because I have a very addictive personality. And most things, you know, there have been some things that that addictive personality that led me the wrong way, right? Even workaholism, it's a respectable addiction. But the fact of the matter is, uh, it's not healthy 
being a workaholic, right? And so now, you know, I was a workaholic for, you know, 15 years of my life. Uh, I had to, I've now put some guardrails up, Max, and some boundaries, right? But that takes a different level of thinking. You know, unlearning sometimes is more important than learning, which is, you know, a really valuable insight. I think that uh, Elon Musk shared, you'd probably know better than me, Um, but unlearning is more valuable and more important than learning. And so as I think about it as a kid, you know, I had to learn certain things, but I also had to be willing to go against the grain. And it wasn't easy. I remember getting laughed at as a kid. I remember my friends like, what are you doing? You know, all these sorts of things. And again, for whatever reason, I just held my ground. I remember even being in high school when everybody started drinking like crazy, right? You know, sophomore year, high school and that sort of thing was going on. I chose not to. It just wasn't like what I, and I made a very conscious Back that on the next frontier, by the way. But anyway. I, I mean, we, we get a little raunchy on the next frontier. We're, all, we're, we're a bunch of young entrepreneurs in 2020 where, where pretty much anything goes right now. It's, um, it's a very interesting time to be a, a young person. Yeah, and it's not easy. Like the right? 80s, yeah. You know, and I think about it today, like I look at some of the social um, pressure, of, you know, that we see with kids today, my kids, you know, being 14 and 12. Like I, we had pressure and, you know, it wasn't easy for me to zig when everybody was kind of zagging, right? And I did feel left out and I did feel like I, there was a part that was missing and I don't regret it at all. I, I, I'm not sure exactly why I never like felt that I had to cross over to, you know, fit in. I felt like, well, okay, well, you don't fit with me. <laughs> and, and, you know, that for whatever reason, even today, and you know, I get asked a lot, like, what, what's the biggest mistake you've made in business, right? My biggest mistake in business has been choosing the wrong uh, client selection or the wrong partners, right? So those two things have cost me multiple millions, uh, millions of dollars. But when I've, start, when I've gotten better and better at discerning, like, what is the right fit? It's very easy for me to either say no, or if somebody was a yes initially, and I realized that they're a no, it's easy for me to just say, you know, this isn't a right fit today, right? Uh, But that, you know, it takes that clarity and that focus, and that isn't always easy, right? Because, you know, oh my gosh, like, I'm going to let all this potential revenue, I had a client that, you know, know, generated our company over $900,000 in just a couple years because of what we were able to help and provide value and add value to them. And I had to separate from that relationship because it just wasn't a right fit health from a health perspective anymore. Right. So I, have a but I don't think, yeah. but I don't think I would have been as conscious of that choice had I not had some of these early influences as a kid either. Right. That's I so just, fascinating. So anyway, that's fascinating. And, and so uh, uh, again, lots of follow up here. I loved a few things you said, you said unlearning is more valuable and more important than actually learning as a skill set. That's fascinating. I'd love if you could riff for a minute. How have you taught yourself to unlearn things? I think unlearning might be a resource that no one thinks about. You're always thinking, how can I learn more? How can I grow more? How can I grow more? But you never think, oh, how can I unlearn this bad behavior? How can I unlearn this great behavior, which is creating a lot of value for me, but might not be super healthy in the long run? Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, Max, um, you know, I'll put it in a different context. You know, most people make drastic changes when they have to. So they unlearn, like, you know, people who smoke, right? My mom, like she's hanging on by a thread. Um, Her health is really, really bad. She's got less than 15% usage in one of her lungs, right? 
She can't walk 20 feet without being completely out of breath. She can't walk from here to there without having to take a nap. Like it's, and, and when my mom goes to sleep, we're never sure if she's going to wake up again. I mean, that's just the reality of her life right now, right? Well, the behavior that created that was the fact that she started smoking at like whatever, 11 years old and two, three, four packs a day or whatever it was for like a lot of years in a row. And she didn't stop smoking. She knew, at, you know, like 10 years in that it wasn't healthy, right? She knew 20 years in it wasn't healthy. And then she tried quitting a couple of times and it would stick for a minute. And then it would, you know, she'd go back to the behavior. It wasn't until the doctor got her completely on an oxygen tank that literally she has to lull around that she stopped smoking. Right. Wow. So she, she, you know, so it's, you know, it's that difference between a want and a, and a have to for most people. And, you know, that's about personally working and, and discerning. How do you create leverage with things that we do or don't? Right. Tim Ferriss. I don't know how many people listen to Tim Ferriss that follow your show, but Tim has this thing where if you set a goal, also set a consequence and a reward with that goal. Right. And he talks, I don't know, he didn't invent it, but you know, he get it's he's popularized it to a certain degree, right? Uh, and he's got certain uh, equity and companies that offer a platform where you can actually do this and challenge each other. But essentially, if you set a goal, you know, you you want to identify a reward. And you want to identify a consequence. Well, if you can consciously build that, like it's a skill set to think that way. Set a goal. Okay, what's the reward when you accomplish? Okay, what's the consequence of not doing it? And then what happens when you start building that DNA and it just kind of becomes automatic, right? Now what happens is you can unlearn bad behavior to turn it into good behavior without needing like, you know, you're going to die like, uh, as, as, an, as an example or a shift. But that is the leverage part of when it becomes a must. I think I first heard this from Tony Robbins when I was in my 20s, right? Uh, which is all the way back in the uh, early 90s. And, I, you know, he has a psychology in his, one of his first books called Unlimited Power. Uh, we don't do things because we want to. We don't do things because we should to. We only do things when they become a must, right? It's not a what. It's not a how. It's, it's a why. When our why is bigger than the how or the what, that's when we'll get things done or undo things that need to be done, right? So that would be a way, um, you know, that I would think about it is, A, you know, look at whatever that goal is or outcome that you're going for. What's the reward for it? What's the consequence of it? What's the why behind it? Like, I was in a, uh, one of our clients that we work with right now, we had a, a planning session today. Uh, follow up with them. And we were going around with certain goals. And one of the things that team members did is, you know, they were going through their, their focuses for the next quarter, right? Call it these big boulders. And one of the things they identified is here's my reward when I do this. And like, I remember one of the people saying, you know, I'm going to take it, take my family on a trip to Disney. Right. And the consequence, right. On the other side of that, everybody kidded because he said, I'm not going to do my laundry for a week. Well, that's a pretty re weak why, right? It's a pretty, you know, small consequence. I'm not going to do my laundry. Well, who's that really impacting? Like, like, well, hopefully you got enough clothes that if you don't do your laundry for a week, you at least have another week of clothes, right? Or, <laughs> or if you don't, well, then you smell a little bit. I don't know. But, but again, the why on that's not very, it's not, 
leverageable, right? So it's when we come up with that big enough why, right? And, and then some of the team members that were, we were uh, contributing together said, well, what, what if, you know, if you don't hit this goal, it's going to lead to the fact that you, you have to go spend a month away from your wife. That's a different why, right? And for that person, that could be a big thing. But everybody's different. Like your why, my why, everybody's listening. Your whys are going to be different than mine. That's why human behavior is such a crazy thing because it's not black or white that, you know, Max can give you his version. I can give you my version. It's not like uh, uh, it's a customized approach. None of this is one size fits all, despite what a lot of fake experts will have us believe, right? It's, it's custom, custom is customized to each person, right? Because our goals are different, right? There are methods to get to those goals. There are patterns, there are, are systems, processes, tactics to get there. But at the end of the day, what makes the difference between people who accomplish it and not many times is going to be like, how do they see themselves in relation to the reward and the consequence and that why behind it? Why are we going to do this? Why is it a must versus a want? right? So, so if I were to sum it up, is unlearning, is moving away from, you know, uh, bad behaviors. How do you do it? Is you increase your why, increase the leverage, create consequences around not doing it. Like um, what would happen if it doesn't happen? When that why is big enough, you, you, we'll all move mountains uh, if it's the right kind of why for us individually, right? I like I like the the example of not being able to see your wife for a month, especially in a business context. Maybe what'd you do? Did you say, hey, if you don't achieve this goal, rather than going to Disneyland, you're not going to see your wife for a month because you're going to go do sales sales door to door in Brazil, something like this. <laughs> exactly right. Okay. I mean, it's something, something like that, right? It's it's just you know finding the thing that would be it's pain, it's pain and pleasure. Yeah, right. A lot of this, you know, don't put enough effort to recognize the pain and pleasure of the things we do or we don't do. What, and what are we really going for? Yeah. Right. In our society today, like, you know, there's so much artificial stimulus, right? Mm-hmm. So much artificial intimacy, if you will, mm-hmm. that we don't even know the influence that that artificial intimacy is having on us with technology and, you know, different platforms and all these sorts of things, but artificial friends, artificial intimacy, it's not that thing, although people get addicted to that thing, it's the feeling they get from the emotional surge they get, the endorphins we get, the, you know, uh, the dopamine hits that we get. Well, how can you intentionally, independent of those platforms, create that for yourself by a certain behavior, a certain action? Like contra- you know, the, the best dopamine in the world for most people at the highest level of success is contribution. Right. Like yeah. If you're having, a, if we're having a bad day, and I've had my share, fair share of bad years for that matter, and one of the ways I've even overcome bad years and success or business or however we want to look at it is I found myself wanting to go contribute, you know, like to to different organizations, to mm-hmm. you know hospitals, you know these sorts of things. Being a mentor, just giving of oneself can be one of the greatest ways to I I uh, pull away from like a bad behavior. And get into a new, a new behavior, right? And do it at, at a high, healthy level too, which is con- coming from contribution. I love it, and, and you're giving so much right now with all of these incredible insights. So thank you so much. I want to get back to the dopamine question and the power of leverage in the context of how you instill that with your kids 
and in your in your family and with some of your your employees, etc. Before we do that, I'd love to round out your childhood and and ask you where did the the diversity, where did the black sheep mentality, where did the the focus, where did that end up leading you? I know that 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 took you on some some interesting journeys as you entered the end of high school and college, etc. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Max, my dream as a kid was to play pro baseball, and it didn't quite work out, although baseball took me a lot of really amazing places that it never would have, uh, I never would have gone without it. Uh, so I you know, played college baseball. I was fortunate enough to do that for four years. I played semi-pro ball. Uh, injuries, though, got the better of me, right? You know, I like to say that I got injured, but the reality, I just wasn't good enough. Uh, <laughs> but injuries probably sounds right. Anyway, uh, and then I coached a college summer all-star team. But what the door that opened was when I was in college, my sister actually got me a position in a marketing company. And it was basically, you know, during the summer so I could make some money, right? So I could actually take some girls out on some dates and, you know, have some fun and, you know, go to movies and go, go do some cool stuff. And I got obsessed with marketing, man. I, I fell in love with the psychology of it mostly. Right. And, and the marketing company was a direct response marketing company. What that means, if you're listening or watching, uh, is you put out stuff in the, the mail or on TV or on the radio and people respond and buy stuff. And I got fascinated by how you could put like a 60 second commercial out and then 37 or 40 people would call and buy the thing that was being offered in that 60 seconds or same on radio or we'd send out a mail package. Right. And people would buy it and send us either credit card or their money or call in to order. Right. It was, it was amazing. And I got, I was like, wow, this is amazing. So I started studying this and I, I, for me, that was like my graduate school, my PhD education. Uh, although it was very spare time, I still took a full-time obsessive compulsive attitude towards it and learned as much as I could about the business, about psychology. I started studying Tony Robbins, Brian Tracy, Tom Hopkins, a lot of personal development experts. I started learning about the list and the markets of, of things and how to access the markets of things. I started looking at how do you make an offer, right? I learned how to acquire clients. I learned how to be able to go out and you know, barter and trade to get certain things that we wanted or needed for the business at a discount. I mean, I got all this value, invaluable and rare experience like in a couple years. And then while I was in college, I went to school, Max, to be uh, in education because I thought being a coach would be like one of the greatest gifts in the world and, and a teacher. And as I was in my senior year in a teaching track at, uh, you know, with one of the classes that we had where we would go to these inner city schools, I started talking to some of the teachers like, like well, well, how's it going for you? What do you like? What do you don't like? You know, those sorts of things. I guess it was my interviewing at the time. And I was like interviewing these teachers and they were miserable. They didn't really enjoy the kids. I was watching a lot of the kids and I was like, oh, I could see why that you might feel that way. And, uh, and, and then I was at, you know, identifying like this financial vehicle, right, was very limited, right? And I was like, wow, I'm going to have a roommate named mom or dad for a long time going this route. And then I was like, well, how do I take this desire to teach right? And now this love for psychology and marketing and combine it. And so I was able to do that because I saw a vehicle. I had a vehicle I, I learned for a couple of years working in this direct response marketing company. So in my senior year, I had a choice to either finish the track or start a business. Well, I started a business and uh, you know, I started my first company in 1992. 
and we were able to go out and if you were a health club owner, Max, we would come to you and go, Hey, um, you know, if we could show you a way to, you know, generate a couple hundred clients and it won't cost you anything up front, our company will run ads for you, TV, radio, and direct mail. And then when we make money, we'll split the profits on that. Would you be open to that? And so it was, uh, it wasn't called this back then, but it, it was a version of an irresistible offer. And so I learned about the value come up with an irresistible offer, right? And when we would make that offer, about seven out of 10 people would say, yeah, I'm interested right now. We'd then narrow it down from seven out of the 10 to about two or three ideal. And then out of the two or three ideal, we'd enroll one that was a, a, a right fit opportunity, right? So I started this business and it was amazing. And we did really, really well out of the gate. But then what I realized is I was good at that side of it. But what I wasn't good at is actually running a business. <laughs> and I made a bunch of mistakes, had to learn and unlearn a lot of stuff, had to unlearn that, you know, it's not a good idea to have business partners who don't have true vested interest in what, what you're doing. Um, I learned, had to unlearn that not everybody's like me and is going to come from a value position and come from, you know, not that I'm perfect by any means, because I'm certainly not. Um, but, you know, the, Adam Grant has a great book that I think kind of sums this up. In the world, we're going to meet three types of people, givers, takers, matchers right? And I had to unlearn that I thought everybody might be more like me, which I like to perceive myself as a giver. But in reality, most people are takers, at best, matchers. And it's rare that you find somebody that's a true giver first, right? Uh, and so I learned that the hard way. It left me then after whatever, two years of, of doing that, I was on the verge of bankruptcy and I had to regroup. And so I learned, you know, what I took in sports, Max, was you know, you got to have persistence. You got to have a bounce back factor about you. You got to be able to rebound, right? Uh, you got to have the ability to uh, recalibrate and rebound if you want to have success long-term in business because every business is going to go up and down. But do you have the faculties and capability, which is a learning, you have to learn the capability of how to rebound, right? And recalibrate. Mo a lot of businesses, like right now, we're in one of the, you know, arguably one of the better economic times in history. And guess what? A crash is going to come. Depending on when you're watching or listening to this, there's going to be a crash and there's going to be a dip. Anybody can really make money to a degree when the market's like it's been, which is kind of on a strong, strong, consistent upswing. Show me the people though that A, can make money when the market goes down. And then most importantly, when it goes down and they hit a low too, can they rebound and recalibrate? Where most people go out, including me in my early years, I had three businesses, Max, I crashed, like killed them. Like I had to bury those damn things in the backyard, right? But it taught me of this principle of being able to rebound and recalibrate and what it takes to do that. There's nothing, like, no matter what business where you, we could be talking about the number one company in the world today. They have cycles. They have things that, you know, spike and they have things that also dip heavily. Their ability to rebound and recalibrate is like one of those huge differentiators. I had to learn that. You know, I was in my 20s. You know, it took me a little bit. I came back and rebound. I started another company. Fast forward now, I've had 11 businesses. And, you know, I crashed, like I said, a couple. I've been through bankruptcy. I, uh, and then also built multiple seven and eight figure companies. And then I was fortunate enough to build a large uh, couple companies I was able to build and sell, right? And, you know, it was an incredible blessing to have those kind of experiences. And today I get to help a lot of companies, 
you know, eliminate suffering. Uh, and, and, you know, you know, a lot of businesses, you know, how a lot of businesses struggle with, you know, consistent, predictable revenue, right? And yet they have assets, but they don't always work together. So what I have an ability to do is simplify, right? And help reduce stress around growing and scaling through cash flow. And it's a lot of fun. We get to work with a lot of cool people. So I, I think those are a couple of the things that coming from my childhood to today is kind of, you know, what some of the great learning lessons. You hit five points that I was hoping we were going to hit in this conversation <laughs> with that last one. So that was fantastic. Trivial question for you. Could you yeah. define bankruptcy? We have a lot of young entrepreneurs who listen and they might not think that bankruptcy is a possibility for them or that they'll ever need to even think about it. Not, not even need to know what it means or to find more information, et cetera. So which side of this do you want me to hit on the mental side of it or the actual tactical side of bankruptcy? Actual tactical side. So it's a business phenomenon that happens that I have never heard anybody talk about uh, when they're giving business advice until someone actually faces bankruptcy. Yeah. I mean, it was something that was written into the, to, uh, to the law years ago. It's one of the great gifts of being in the greatest country in the world built on capitalism. And it gives average people the ability to recalibrate to the ability to, to have a rebirth, if you will, to, to uh, uh, reset. And so from a tactical point of view, bankruptcy, there's a few different types of versions of bankruptcy, just depending on you know, the, the type of structure, personal, business, those sorts of things. Um, but what, it, what a bankruptcy at its core is, is essentially you know, where you're struggling and there's likely minimal way out. Like you've kind of hit rock bottom and there's no real opportunity to grow beyond it. And what it allows you to do is it allows you to basically start over, right? At, at its core. And there's a couple of ways you can start over. If it's a chapter seven, you literally, you know, itemize a list of, you know, the liabilities that you have, you write them off and, you know, they're basically, you know, handed off, right? And you get to start basically at zero again. That's where the mental side comes in. Cause you know, going through the bankruptcy that I did uh, many years ago, like I had a mental breakdown, if you will, a fatigue, a depression, a guilt, a shame of going through it. So there's the, the tactic, that's why I asked the mental side of it, or because or, this is another part of it. It's the mental game of business that a lot of people don't think about that you may not like from my experience, there are cycles of this. And the cycles are very similar to a process called Dabdar, which are from a great book from Kubler-Ross called Death and Dying. Uh, it's basically about dealing with loss, right? In the dying sense. But I found that the, this process, my experience, when I went through bankruptcy, I went through all of these stages, just like you would lose uh, your best friend, a parent, and so on. So you go through denial, you go through anger, <laughs> for sure. Like, how did I get myself in this freaking mess, right? Like, how could I do, how could I be so stupid, right? Anger, right? And a lot of other things that could come up around that. Then you got, so D-A-B, bargaining, right? Well, if I do this, I can maybe get myself out of it. And then what happens is if you bargain too long, you become like a riverboat gambler and you're not making strategic choices in business. You're actually making gambling decisions. And there's a big difference between running a business strategically and gambling, right? Then there's anxiety. Oh boy, talk about anxiety, right? Uh, through that process. Then, so you got D-A-B-D, depression, right? Uh, yeah, I went through a, a depressed state, like over this process of having to go, you know, I'm a failure. You know, my, I equated 
this is me. Well, bankruptcy isn't me. There's a detachment ultimately, and that comes into the next two phases, which are acceptance, right? You then get to a place where you can finally accept that this is what you're doing and it'll be all right. And then you have a, a response. Like, what is the response to this? Now, some people stay in that one of those phases that's like the low and they never regroup. They never recalibrate. They never reset, right? So what bankruptcy gives us the luxury to do in this country is it gives us the ability if it happens and it's not something to be proud of, but it's there for a reason. Cause in other countries you go to jail, right? Wow. I did not know that. There are some countries you literally go to jail if you can't wow. pay your debts. Right. And here in this country though, the bankruptcy was created because, you know, business commerce gives us the ability to exchange good and service for value. Right. And then what happens if it doesn't work? Well, our past doesn't have to equal our future and we can reset, we can recalibrate. And that's either through like a chapter seven or a chapter, I'm not going to go into all the differences between the two, but it's essentially a methodology that if you hit a low, it just seems there's no way out. It gives you the opportunity, if it makes sense, that you can do, hit the reset button and start over with a clean slate and not also have to go to jail over it, <laughs> right? So, um, and then be able to go out and do amazing thing. And what's amazing, there's a great book. I've got it over here on my bookshelf uh, called Think and Grow Rich. I think it's in Think and Grow Rich. It might be another one. But inside of it, it, it talks about in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, when they did this whole big study of some of the most successful entrepreneurs at that time, you know, from the steel and manufacturing and all these different things, that the average multimillionaire had gone bankrupt at that time two to three times. Wow. 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 So you got to fail so, to win. You got to so fail to win. You got to fail to win. And now coming back to my background in sports, because I've seen friends who've never gotten over, right? Either they didn't do the bankruptcy thing and they just stayed in this low and then they went into hiding and they went into isolation, and, right? And never became them again. Um, and then I've seen others that, you know, have thrived because they got the learning lesson from, for me in sports, when I played baseball, Max, in baseball, like you're, you know, you're not a superhero if you're hitting three out of 10, but you're considered like one of the best at, in, in the game at a professional level anyway. If you get three out of 10 right, if you get three hits out of 10, that's a 300 batting. And the average in the league is about 240 to 260, depending on what year you might be talking about. That's the average. So you fail more times than you succeed, right? So I think because of baseball, just in, you have to learn how to deal with failure. Like, that's another thing, unlearning, right? And or learning how to deal with failure because it's not something that's taught in school. Like in school, our school system is set up that you have to be right. You have to be 100% accurate and all these sorts of things. And, and the, it's like one of the biggest tragedies in education is they train us how to not understand how to actually build personal success. If we're always going for perfect, what usually means happens is we close down versus opening up. But when you can have the relief to go, you know what, it's okay that I am unsuccessful, whatever. Every industry can be, every business can be a little bit different, but if I'm unsuccessful, let's say six out of 10 times, I'm still one of the best in the world. That's business. Right? I, I heard, a, I heard a, a very interesting lecture on transitioning from defining success as the opposite of failure to defining success success to encompass failure 
and to just define success as, as living and making progress and failure is an essential part of, of living and making progress. And I really and appreciate I, you. Yeah. Yep. One of my early mentors, Max, and maybe this will serve your audience too, is, um, you know, his name was Tom Hopkins and I had a chance to go through his training in my early years and still a huge fan of all of his work he's done for a long time. And, and he had this indoctrination or, you know, you could call it an affirmation, right? I don't really believe in affirmations anymore. I believe in declarations. And a couple of the declarations that he had um, that I think stuck with me and, you know, anybody that followed a version of him and others that teach this sort of stuff. Uh, he says, you know, failure is not failure. It's an opportunity to learn. Failure is not failure. It's an opportunity to get closer to a win. Failure is not failure. It's an opportunity and a doorway to success, right? Failure is success. Yeah. And if you're not willing to fail, you're not willing to succeed, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, you know, I think, and you kind of brought that up, you know, in your own way, and that's a little bit different way of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. It's failing your, you know, many ways, failing your way to success. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And, and, and just, just to put it on the record too, there's a lot of other ways to fail in business and fail gracefully besides for bankruptcy. Uh, yes. Definitely are. Uh, and, yep. and likewise, you've had some extraordinary successes in business. Um, not to, not to delve too much into it because I want to leave time to chat more about, again, fatherhood. I think you are, for me outside, you're an amazing father and some of the, the, things that we've talked about and initiatives that you do with your kids are, are just sound like a lot of fun and extraordinary growth opportunities. So I'm very excited to dive into that, but I'd love for, for two or three minutes, if you could maybe tell us about some of your successes and maybe, maybe what is the highlight of your, of your business career so far where you've felt the most fulfilled and excited and had the most fun. Well, I, I think I'd sum it up in a couple of things is, you know, some of the letters that I, I get, some of the notes I get unsolicited, not just from, you know, clients we've had over the years, right? You know, going, you know, going back as far as like 20 years ago, I get notes. I just got one here recently from somebody going, you know, I read your book and took one of your courses 15 years ago. And I just want to say thank you. I got one, you know, for the holidays, right? And uh, like those kind of notes and messages are inspiring, right? And, and then I got a, a text because I was referring someone who used to work for me to another company that I thought he'd be a great fit for. And he says, you know, uh, God bless you, number one. Number two, the only person I would ever want to work for in a role in this type of role would be you. So if you're expanding and looking for to fill this particular role and it were your business, I would do it in a heartbeat. Right. So mm -hmm. getting messages like that and to think that, you know, in the course of my career, we've helped over 250,000 clients. We've had millions of people go through all kinds of the different resources, tools, and stuff. Most of it, me being behind the scene, not being like this front stage, you know, kind of icon person, which I'm not, or I don't see myself that way, or a front stage like guru. I never wanted to be that, but we built a lot of educational resources, a lot of tools, a lot of things that people have gone through one way or another. And so to get that kind of messaging and to think stepping back, like you're asking me, you know, to a degree to step back, which I don't do that often, but as I step back and go, wow. We've got over 250,000 clients go through our stuff, right? A couple million people that, you know, in one way or another have been subscribed to our stuff. Uh, you know, to, to the thousands of people that have worked in our companies where we created jobs and value in a, in a, in a community and marketplaces and locally and worldwide. Like I have to look at that and go, that's amazing. And then the, the part you brought up, the thing I 
working towards, you know, and it, it's something I'm striving for. You know, I've also been through divorce, right? Which is another, you know, you call it, call it, I, I, you know, I, I think I surprise people because I talk about these things openly, whereas most people are trying to go, oh, oh, look at me, look at me, whatever, right? Again, it's part of the journey. Like anybody that's been an entrepreneur and a parent has struggled with, with it, I'm, I, from my experience and most of the people I talk to. Uh, most people that I know that have been a husband or a, a spouse as an entrepreneur struggled to, at some degree. So what I attempt to do, Max, is simply try to lead the best I can. I think if I had to des- describe like my you know, focus, my drive, my desire, it's transferring leadership. And I do that in business, it's transferring leadership and experience. And with my kids, I'm just trying to transfer leadership, right? With my relationship with my wife, it's about mutual transfer of leadership together, that we're growing and evolving together. Um, you know, I think it comes back to my number one value, which is hyper growth, right? Instilling that hyper growth in others. And what are some of the, the resources that you've built and some of the, the, the content consumption mechanisms that you've built, courses, your podcast, books that you've written that, that people can check out if they wanted to learn more about how you do spread leadership and you transfer leadership? Yeah, the easy one, which initially I built as you know, a way to show my kids leadership, is, a, is our podcast platform, a radio show podcast, which is called Growth to Freedom, which you can go check it out at growththefreedom.com. Now we have over 200 hours of insights, wisdom, strategies, you know, available. I've had many people, many, many people send us messages, Max, going, wow, your stuff that you make available free is better than most of the paid courses I've gotten access to, right? Which, is, you know, is a real, you know, amazing, you know, for me, I mean, it's just touching. When I built this platform, I also built it intentionally because, you know, you, as a parent, right, like your dad, me to my kids. We can go, hey, go be a great, great person. You can you go network. Like networking is really critical. Well, I can talk about those things or I can just do them, right? You know, one of, one of my clients um, and also one of, one of our guests on the show is someone named uh, Bill Rasmussen, right? Now, you may not know the name Bill Rasmussen, but you probably know the worldwide sports network called ESPN, right? Well, Bill is the founder of ESPN, right? So he's been a client of, of ours. He's, you know, I like to consider him a friend as well, right? So I built this where I could show my kids how important networking is, that creating a model like interviewing others, you don't have to have all the answers. I mean, I also built the platform. For me, it's a learning platform and an unlearning platform. It's my own Self can like your podcast. I view most podcasts this way, like the greatest gift of a pie. I'd encourage almost anybody set up some kind of a platform where you can interview smart people because you'll just learn. I learn more in like a conversation with someone than I could ever sitting in a classroom. That's just me. That may not be everybody, but the collaborative dynamic, the contact, the connection, the, 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 the distinctions those all are just incredibly valuable. And then, you know, another strategic byproduct for my kids, Max, is, you know, I've got 200 episodes. By the time they're, you know, whatever, the 18 years old and they're old enough to really maybe start appreciating this, right, stuff, like there'll be thousands of hours that they can just go in, you know, and it'll also be a legacy for my family, for my kids, because this stuff will live forever. Hopefully it'll be mostly good stuff. <laughs> 
I'll tell you, I, I've thought a lot about that. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons I started podcasting. I, I realized that there are people in my life who I want to learn a lot more about. And one day I will not be here. We all won't be here. But more than just the legacy of actually going back through the podcast archives, we need to start, in my opinion, more intentionally collecting data on ourselves. For once, things like artificial intelligence are advanced enough to recreate Dan in 50 years from now and be able to have your kids' kids interact with 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 great, 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 great grandpa Dan um, well, in, in, a, in a meaningful way. That's going to be freaky, but but recording this data is is a is a really important first step, and it's very interesting that that you brought that up, and that's one of the reasons why you, why you're podcasting. I think that that's fascinating. So when yeah. it comes to, when it comes to your kids and it comes to your family, what are the the values if you had to if you had to pick three to five the values that you're working to have be their top values? So you mentioned hyper growth. What what else What else is on that list? Well, a quick acronym that I developed a few years back, you know, thinking through this, um, is, is an acronym called champion C H A M P I O N. Like if you can't, if I were able to pull my kids in here, they're down the hall, um, and, and ask them, you know, what, what, what are your core values? And they, they'd go champion choose. So choice, health, action, be an action taker, mastery, commit to mastery, right? purpose or passion, invest in yourself, be an opportunity seeker and never quit on you, right? At the end of the day, that's being a champion as the way that we've defined it. Um, you know, and then if I were to say, what's the most important value, you know, doing my best to lead, lead by example. You know, there's some people go, you know, like, uh, what, what are your thoughts around a balanced life? I think balance is bullshit. That's my own personal view of it. Um, if you want to be great in anything, you're going to be obsessive, right? Like great athletes, like they, they're working in the winter. Like on Christmas Day, there will be professional athletes playing and doing a job. Think about that. They're willing to do most things that most other people are not willing. Now, I'm not saying you have to work on Christmas, but the bottom line, it's, a, it's, a, it's something to think about is successful people achievers, high achievers, especially high, the highest performers in the world, many times will do things other people are just not able because they just didn't maybe think about it that way. Right. It's a lot of times a vehicle, right. That, that we're in or not in, that's going to make, make a difference. Um, and you know, these athletes, people look and they go, oh, I see like a guy like who's arguably one of the greatest basketball players to ever live. Uh, um, LeBron James, right. Like him, love him, hate him, whatever it is. People look at, oh, well, if I were getting paid, whatever it is, I don't even know, but 25 or $30 million a year, of course, I'd work on Christmas too. Well, he was doing that back in high school. He was doing that back in high school, but most people don't correlate the, the, the behavior. We talked about behavior earlier, learning, unlearning, right? The, but most importantly, the key to the thread is behavior. What is the behavior, right, to be able to get a certain outcome, right? So for, for my kids, Max, um, tra that transfer of leadership, right? Uh, not seeking to be balanced, but seeking to be integrated, right? So I do my best to live my life, right? Like I'm doing a show right now. I want them to consciously see me work. I like to invite them into the things I'm working on. I like to invite them on trips that I go on for business because I want to 
include them, not isolate them or separate them. You know, my family life and my business life to me, at least the way I view it today, and of course that's subject to change in a few years if I have a different distinction, but today I view it not as separate, but I look at it as it's just one, it's a life. Let's go build a great life, right? Some of that life is work, that's the real world. It's not separate, like it's not different. It's all part of life, let's live it together. And uh, for me, I found it to be a good, good way to serve, um, you know, whether it's work life or health, right? We have conversations about health. Like my daughter is like so fascinating. She's amazing in so many incredible ways. Like she makes, she's been making conscious choices about, you know, non, uh, not eating gluten for, you know, the last five plus years. Like, and that was her own doing, making her own choices that way, right? And she's not, you know, she isn't uh, a celiac, right? But she's just made a healthy choice because that's what she wanted, A, which I respect and appreciate. But then to have the discipline, like when she was like six or seven years old, that she chose not to eat foods that had gluten in it. Like to me, I like look at that and I'm so proud. That's incredible. Great, independent, strong kids, right? Yeah. Again, to the best of our ability, like, you know, we all, we all have like, there's things, you know, we argue in our family. We at times don't get along in our family, right? These sorts of things are just part of the real experience of being a human being. It's not all perfect by any means, uh, but man, I, I, I love the life we have. I love especially being able to include my kids. My wife, uh, you know, she has her own independent career. She's incredibly successful. I, I tell her as often as possible you know, how proud I am of her. I admire and respect the hell out of what I see and what, watch her do, right? And yet we work together, right, to solve problems to, you know, make magic happen, if you will, and to build mini champions. That's what we're doing, building mini champions, C-H-A-M-P, choose health, action, mastery, purpose, invest in yourself, opportunity seeker, and never quit on you. Yeah. Cool. So, so there's, one, there's one thing that we've, we've talked about with your kids, and it's how involved you are as a coach in their athletic life. Uh, I believe you coach your son's football team. Um, I've been very fascinated with how you've actually implemented that coaching style. I, I, we talked once about how you're reviewing tapes and film of your son playing football and he's 10 years old. He was 10 when he started. He's now 12. Yeah. Now he's 12. And, and that's, that's, that's crazy to me. Um, that's something that in my life, I mean, I used, I used to play a lot of hockey and, and, and a lot of martial arts. And if I would have been reviewing film when I was 10 years old, oh, I would have been a lot better. Um, uh, well, then you'll dig this. Check this out. So I have a friend of mine. Um, who's a coach too. We got my son, the Ohio state playbook, the offensive playbook. So now he's actually studying the Ohio state college playbook. It's so cool. How did you come up with that? How did you, how did you say, I'm going to make my kid to be the, I don't know if you said this, but in my mind, what you said was I'm going to be the greatest. I'm going to make my kid the greatest, not necessarily the greatest athlete, but the greatest the greatest training athlete, if that makes sense, at the age of 10? Well, I think, you know, with all the experience I've had, I don't know that I viewed it like that, that way. It was just, how can I give him every opportunity to learn, right? You know, he seems to love it. Like, and if he decided he didn't love it in a year or whatever, well, then I would challenge him to take the same habits, this same behavior path, of commitment and learning and focus and dedication and, and diving in 
to anything that he would do. And I shared the say, you know, it comes back to the thing that my dad shared with me when I was a kid, Max, we talked about earlier, which is, you know, if you take that same focus and put it into sports in anything you do, you'll be immensely successful. And I'm trying to do my best to lead that and then just give them access. Like I, you know, we got him a quarterback coach, you know, a year or so ago, we got, you know, we've been, what you said, we do practice on, you know, essentially practice is multiple or two days a week. Game day is one day a week, and then we have film day, a, se- a separate day, right? And film, film study, you know, we're reviewing what he does, what he did well, what he didn't do well, right? His coaches come in. Uh, we even have his quarterback coach who will view it separately. And so he's getting this feedback. It's like this, again, hyper growth incubator. How can you, what would have to happen? You know, ideally, as you're listening, you take this for you. And, you know, it's, this isn't just necessarily about me, but think about what would it do for you? If you could create this chamber, this hyper growth chamber, we'll call it. Maybe I should trademark that. Actually, it might not be a bad idea. A be a hyper- great idea. Yeah. A hyper growth chamber for success and breakthroughs, right? That's all I've tried to do again. And I think it's just the DNA of how I look at things today of, you know, it's not separate. It's not like, you know, I don't know whether he'll be the greatest athlete in the world. Like he, if he's my size, there's some things there. Right. If he's bigger than me, well, you, you know, that'll be good. Right. I don't know where, where that'll fit, but helping him be the best him he can be. And then also he's got to be the one doing the work. So he's the one doing jump rope. He's the one showing up at practice. He's the one running drills. He's the one throwing. He's the one executing at the end of the day. So, you know, as the old saying goes, we can lead a horse to water, but we can't make it drink. I've told my son, I tell my daughter, I've, most of the people I've ever coached you know, individually, even my clients, I tell them the same thing. Hey, look, here's the deal. I will pull, you're going to push. And if you stop pushing, I will stop pulling, period. This is 50-50. Not me doing 60, not me doing 55, not me doing 80. It's 50-50. My part of 50 is to help be a guide and a support, an advisor, mentor. That's the role. Your part is to push and then implement, right? And uh, at the end of the day, that's, that's really what we're going through is create this, you know, hyper growth chamber, give access to the potential best solutions, tools, you know, coming back to solving problems. You know, most people, I think, start with the wrong perspective. And I think part of it is the education system, Max, has trained people not to be good decision makers, not to look at uh, problem solving the way I'm going to share it in a second. Most of us are taught when we get a problem. What's the how to solve the problem? What's the uh, what to solve the problem? Now, that plays a role for sure. But a way to collapse all of that is instead of you actually figuring out the what or the how, start with a who. Who has the answer to this that's the best at this right now that I can get access to who can help solve it? Because, of, you know, everybody's got their version of what are, you know, Gladwell's 10,000 hours, Right. Well, the who that has 10,000 hours is going to help you do things, solve a what and solve a how in one one thousandth the time than you trying to have the ability to come up with that. So anyway, it's a, it's a little different way. Start with a who. And that's what I've done with my son, Kyler. Who, who is the best? Like I've told my son, Kyler, the best coach in college football was Urban Meyer, right? That's now been handed over to uh, the coach over at Ohio State now, and I'm forgetting his name at the moment. 
because uh, I'm not a big Buckeye fan. I'm more of a Michigan fan. Um, so uh, hey, go Badgers, uh, University of Wisconsin. Let's there go. you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, so anyway, it starts with a who. And so we, you know, I was asking, hey, where could we go about getting the Ohio State playbook? And lo and behold, you ask the right questions, you find the answers, right? And I found a who that had it. We ended up acquiring it. We, you know, who's someone who could train my son? Like I've told my son, and, it, and I've been telling him this for over 18 months. He's a better quarterback at like 11 than I was in high school. That's true. Like he is. He, re, he sees the game differently, better by far. He makes better. He's more accurate, all of it. Like he is so like, it's freakish, right? In so many ways, right? Um, but it started with a who. Who could, who could be his coach? Who's a better person to be able to help him grow, be best, the best that he can be, be the best version. And, and, and then I'll leave with this last thing, which is, you know, what do we have to do today to be better than we were yesterday? That's really the, that's the game we're in. It's as simple as that. What, what do we, what's that little bit of improvement we will work to make today, mentally, physically, socially, spiritually, emotionally, financially? What's that little bit we can be better today than we were yesterday? And if we just keep stacking enough of those up each day, man, it's exponential, the growth. And you know, it's where the, I think it's the Bill Gates quote, right? We underestimate what we can do in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And most of the time we overestimate what we can get done in a year or so. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But if you just stack this, this mindset, what can I do to be better today than I was yesterday? And do that every day for the course of a few years, you look back in 10 years and go, holy shrikes, look at how far I've come. <laughs> and there we have a champion in the making. So there you go. Perfect way to end. And yeah, and that's, that's precisely what I'm hoping to do with this podcast is, is bring the who's bring, bring you bring other, other who's who have been there and have that experience that, and, and stop entrepreneurs and particularly young entrepreneurs from walking into the wall when there's a door right over here that they can step through and they just need someone to show them when the door is. Uh, so thank you so much for your time today. You mentioned your, your podcast and you mentioned your, your other coursework earlier in the episode, but is there anywhere that you would like people to check out? Where can people find you? What's the best, the best way that people can support you in, in the amazing work that you're doing? Yeah. I mean, if something here has compelled you, I, I highly encourage you to check out our, our show. Our, our, our podcast at growththefreedom.com, you know, hundreds of hours, um, pretty easy to find. So you can reach out. That's another way. If you want to check out some of the other things we're doing, we've got a, we rotate a series of, of different training programs, uh, depending on when you're seeing this or hearing it, you can go to champion, um, or I'm sorry, you can go to, um, activate.breakthrough3x. That's activate.breakthrough3x. I imagine you'll put the links in the show, but uh, activate.breakthrough3x has our most current up-to-date training on some aspect of you know, business growth, business success, hyper growth that we've, we've discovered. Uh, and then if you want to find us separately, go to breakthrough3x.com, which is our main hub. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Next Frontier Podcast. If you like this content, please head over to nextfrontier.org forward slash subscribe. That's nextfrontier.org forward slash subscribe.